Thank you, worship team. Uh, special welcome to you if you are new or, or a visitor. We're thankful that you're here. My name is Keith. I'm a pastor here at the church. Uh, and there is something about when we sing uh, songs, when we declare uh, what God has done in our life, something reorients in our life. Something shifts, doesn't it? It's as though we're tapping into to the reason we exist, <laughs> to glorify God, to enjoy his presence, not simply now, but forever. And I'm thankful that you're here to do that alongside of us. Uh, before I get into preaching the word this morning, I, I want to give a, a heartfelt thank you uh, to, to those of you who participated in the Jaffrey offering. Uh, we, we receive once a year a Jaffrey offering, which is intended to help launch new ventures uh, internationally to see the gospel brought to the corners of the earth. Uh, and this year, the offering has gone to support South Asian pastors who are planting churches in South Asia. And so thanks for participating in that. And I just wanted to let you know that uh, through our special offering last week, we, you gave over $14,500. And so thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Uh, important to let you know about that. Uh, so we, I'm going to jump in because there's a bit to get through this morning, but there's some gold in here, I believe. May the Holy Spirit mine it for us. We've been walking through uh, these pathways, uh, uh, these spiritual disciplines, these pathways that the church has walked for generations uh, it is a way of, uh, of walking with Jesus. And we've looked at the Sabbath. We've looked at reading Scripture. We've, we've looked at prayer. And today I, I want to talk about a, a way of walking with Jesus that is often overlooked. It's, it's often not mentioned when it comes to the spiritual disciplines. But I think it is of the utmost importance. And that is worship. And by worship, I have in mind something specific. This morning, I, I want to speak about the worship that we do here together on a Sunday morning. Of course, there is more to worship than, than simply what we do on a Sunday morning, but I want to call you to the spiritual discipline of Sunday worship. Turn, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 to 25. We've already read it twice this morning, <laughs> and so this third one's for free. Hebrews 10. Verses 19 to 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled uh, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray this morning that you would reorient us to the fullness of your, your glory. Jesus, we pray that you would help us walk the path of worship 
And Lord, where there are maybe some things that need to be adjusted or reoriented in our life, we pray that through your Holy Spirit you would speak and that whatever is heard this morning are, are your words, Jesus, not mine. And so I pray this to the end of your glory, we pray, Jesus, amen. So full disclosure, I hated going to church on Sunday mornings as a kid. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. Every week, I would, of course, try to get out of this rhythm, of course. When, when my parents would come to wake me up, I would, I would keep my eyes closed uh, as tight as I could and lie very still pretending to be asleep. And in my little mind, I was hoping, nay, I was praying that they would take pity on this poor child who was exhausted and given the morning off. I mean, WWJD in that moment, right? But they never took pity on me. I tried week after week, but it never wor worked. And, and so maybe, maybe you're a teenager here this morning, and, and you got dragged to church by your parents. I just want to say I feel your pain, homies. <laughs> or maybe you're an adult and you're here reluctantly. <laughs> Perhaps it was your wife who dragged you here this morning. <laughs> Or, or, or maybe you're here because you're simply, you've been kind to a friend who invited you and, and out of kindness you came. Or maybe it's that you're giving this Sunday church thing another try after a season of stepping away. And maybe in the last season of going to church, things didn't go so well. Maybe it was something uh, that the, the pastor did. Or maybe it was something that someone at the church said to you. Uh, I get it. Some of us have a complicated relationship with Sunday morning worship. Yet, regardless of your experience, not to bypass it, but to bring it into the light of Jesus, no matter your experience, I want to suggest to you that finding a regular rhythm of worship with other people is one of the most important things that you can do to regularly walk with Jesus in your own life. And we sometimes dismiss Sunday worship or, 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 or we trade it in for something different. We trade it in for, for, for a series of online sermons or, or simply taking a hike with Jesus in the woods. And while these things are fine, they're good things in and of themselves, I'm convinced that, that regular worship with other people is one of the most important pathways followers of Jesus can walk. And before I drill in here, uh, before I think I, I need to try and convince you of what I'm saying is true, but before I drill in there, I, I want to say this. Sometimes then when we get to talking about going to church on Sunday, there's this kind of air about it, isn't there? There's this hint of sometimes legalism or, or these feelings of guilt arise in us. And I want to name that. Sometimes people come up to me, uh, and uh, very kindly, of course, kind of like with hat in hand, looking down and saying, Keith, I'm sorry, I haven't been in church for a little while. And, and I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> or maybe you walked into church this morning, and the people you normally sit beside looked at you and said, well, I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> right? Those things happen. There's these subterranean feelings of guilt and and legalism. And so I want to say at the outset, today we are going to say no to shame. <laughs> we are not going to shame. And if you're feeling sheepish about your church attendance track record, don't hang your head in shame because that's not where Jesus hangs your head. 
Jesus has some good things to speak to each one of us, but we need to open our ears and our hearts to hear what he says. So be engaged. We can do this. And we are going to say no to shame. And you can add uh, to your comfort in the fact that when I'm on holidays, from time to time, sometimes I decide not to go to a church Sunday service. Sometimes I, I decide to go skiing with my family or, or simply to sleep in and watch a soccer game. And so we're all going to say no to the guilt trip this morning. In the text that I read, the author of Hebrews, uh, he, he's giving direction to a first century Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem. There's a lot going on in there. And, and, and he's saying something specific about their gathered worship, their collective worship. Just listen to all the symbols, uh, the symbolism here, uh, all of these symbols of worship that are listed in this short passage of Scripture. And, and, and listen and, and imagine how, what they would have meant to a Jewish Christian. The text speaks about entering the most holy place. And of course, in the mind of a Jewish Christian, the most holy place would have been the temple of worship where they gathered for worship in Jerusalem. And then there's talk about the curtain in verse 20, which was also in the temple. And if you remember from the Easter story, this, this is the, the, the curtain that separated the holy God from unholy people. The text also speaks about a great priest over the house of God. Of course, it's Jesus. And then there's mention about hearts that are sprinkled and being cleansed of sin, forgiven, and, and bodies being washed clean. All of these were elements of a Jewish worship service, a gathered people for worship. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus now has given a radically new meaning to each of these elements of worship through his death and his resurrection. Right? It's Jesus who, who tore the veil in order to reconcile unholy people with a holy God. Jesus is the great priest who, who presides over the house of God in worship. He's present with us. It's Jesus who cleanses us from our sin, who forgives us. He washes us clean. And so the author of Hebrews here is speaking to a context, and, and he's helping these followers of Jesus see how these elements of their worship, how these elements of the service, they actually point to Christ. That their worship pointed to the gospel story. The story of God reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. You see, herein lies the biblical vision of worshiping together. When we worship Jesus on a Sunday morning, we aren't simply singing songs or listening to a preacher. We are immersing ourselves in the gospel story. The story in which Jesus is fully present to us. Now, before I explain how we do that, before I explain how we immerse ourselves in the gospel story in our worship, I want you to consider some of the other stories that you are immersed in throughout the rest of your week. Think of the stories you're immersed in. First, we're, we're immersed day in and day out in the story of consumerism. We're immersed in it. It's the story that says that you can find happiness and satisfaction in your life if you simply buy this product, no matter what the product might be, whether it's a lipstick or a pair of sneakers or a car. 
The story is, is told to us every time we open our social media. I mean, how many of you have bought something through social media because you saw it there, not because you wanted it? I am one of them. I've done that almost every Christmas. I'm like, I need that thing for my family. <laughs> the story is told every time we open social media or, or turn on the television or, or walk through the mall, buy this and you'll be happy and whole. We're also immersed in the story of worldly power. You feel it when you walk down the halls of your high school, the story of worldly power. You feel it when you walk into your boss's office or when you read the world news or, or, or when you play Fortnite. It's the story that says the powerful get ahead in life and they typically get ahead by force. Those with economic power, the wealthy, they, they can have whatever they want. The popular kids, the ones with the social power, they're the ones who rule the hallways. Those with military power are, are, are the ones to be feared because the people with guns in the higher ground emerge the victors. We are immersed in the story of worldly power, and we're often caught up in, in its clutches, and, and, and we clutch and we grab for that power for ourselves. We're immersed in the story. We're also immersed in the story of individualism or what sociologist Robert Bella called expressive individualism. This is the story that says that your highest goal in life is to discover who you are by looking inside yourself and inside yourself alone. That you are the center of your universe. So you get to decide what is right and wrong for yourself. Don't let anyone get in the way of your truth or your self-expression or your identity because denying your experience of the world is this culture's only sin. See, this story is everywhere. It is the most prevalent story of our Western culture. We are immersed in it. And the point is, we are immersed in all of these big stories, and there's more, and they shape how we think they shape how we act. They, they shape how we relate to other people. And they do this, and we don't even notice it. it. It just happens because we're immersed in the story. And the question that all of us followers of Jesus need to ask is given all of these stories we are immersed in, how can we immerse ourselves in the one true story that God is writing into the world? The gospel story. Where in your week can you immerse yourself in and be shaped by the story of God, reconciling a lost and broken world to himself through Jesus Christ? Where can you be immersed in that story? And the answer is, I think, here. Week in and week out, immersing ourselves in the gospel story together in worship. Years ago, I spoke with a woman who was doing her PhD with my wife, Gina. And she was on this journey of discovering Jesus for the first time. She didn't grow up in a, in a church environment. And she started to go to church on Sundays. And she explained to me how she loved the worship services. And I asked, what is it about them that you love? 
And she says, I love them because they're so unlike anything else in my life. And somehow, I think I need that. And what I think this friend was getting at is that the weekly worship gave her something that she couldn't find anywhere else in her life out there. That she had been immersed in all kinds of stories, promising her a happy and successful life, promising her power and freedom, but it was here. Immersed in the gospel story that she came to see what was missing. That happens to us week in and week out. And when we commit ourselves to, to the spiritual discipline of worshiping regularly with other people, we immerse ourselves in the story of the gospel. And it not only shapes the person that you become, it, it not only shapes us into the person God made us to be, it actually disarms all the competing stories that are trying to win your allegiance. And of course, on any given Sunday, we, we don't notice this big story. We, we don't see these things happening. We don't notice the story being told. We, we don't hear the story being read to us word for word, but, but that's how all these big stories work. They work in our subconscious. And so let me help you hear the narrative arc of the gospel that we immerse ourselves in week in and week out. In our service, we begin with the call to worship. And the call to worship is where through scripture or song, we, God calls your attention to himself. Because God has been up long before you woke up in the morning. God was there in the beginning. And in the call to worship, we're reminded that we don't go to church to worship as much as God calls us to worship. He has already acted. He's acted to give us life and, and salvation, and he calls us to pay attention to himself. In other words, he wants us here. And sometimes we casually enter worship thinking that it's the other way around, don't we? We come thinking, what do you have for me today, God? <laughs> but do you hear the secular story of individualism at play there? What do you have for me today, God? But from the opening call to worship, we're reminded that we are not the center of the universe. That God summons us into his presence because he is the author of life. He is the author of the gospel story. Eugene Peterson says, Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. <laughs> Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. <laughs> That's powerful. I mean, what other strategy do you have for interrupting your preoccupation with yourself, your problems, your worries, your priorities? Well, worship does that. And then after the call to worship, the service moves on to declare the gospel story. It begins with a call to worship, and then we declare the gospel story. And it's declared through our song, through creeds, and through testimony. 
In song, we declare it. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again. Holy, holy is the Lord. We declare it in song. In the creeds, we also declare it. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, which means universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. In testimonies, we declare. We declare what God has done in our individual lives, but not with a focus on ourselves, not with a focus on our greatness or our achievements, but on His. We declare that God has done what God has done to reconcile broken and sinful people to Himself through the love of Jesus. Then in our service, there is preaching. In preaching, we open our ears in order to hear the gospel in our hearts. And the preacher begins, this is the word of the Lord. It's a reminder that we are not gods ourselves, but there is a God who has the authority to direct our steps. And his word is living and active. His word is life. His word is filled with the Spirit. And then all God's people say, thanks be to God. Then in our worship service, there is prayer. And sometimes we pray prayers of confession. We come face to face with our own sin and our need for God's forgiveness. We confess where we've lived into these other stories, these deforming stories where, where we've trusted in idols for happiness and wholeness, where we've misused our power, where we've chosen to be gods of our own making. And we pray not simply for forgiveness, but we pray for daily bread. And we pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel story contains the whole of life, both the bread and the glories of heaven. Then, regularly in worship, we bring our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. We remember that God is generous in everything that he does, that we put our money into his hands so that we can be freed from money's power over us, and so it might be used for his purposes and his glory, and not our own. We give because he gave us his son. And then in worship, we come to this moment where, where we receive the communion. We take our seat at the Lord's table where, where we remember Christ's sacrifice and all that it cost him to reconcile us to God. See, it's here at the table where we see how true power is meant to be used. For Jesus didn't consider his status with God as something to be used for his own advantage, but he laid it down and became servant of all. This is his body given for us. This is his blood shed for us. We remember the story when we eat and drink at his table. And it's here, incidentally, at the Lord's table where we notice that Jesus came not only for me, but for everyone. We all come to Christ with hands open, 
saying we need the grace of God. We come in our weakness to receive life. You see, we look up from the Lord's table and see we are not alone. We are surrounded by others like us, sinners in need of the same grace, the broken in need of the same healing, the hopeless in need of hope. And at the table, there are no VIPs. There's no spiritual elite. There are no haves and have-nots. There are only broken people reconciled to God who are being reconciled to others. And then, having received the grace of God through the communion, at the end of our service, and this happens every week, we conclude with the commissioning. Having received the love and grace of Christ, having it poured into our hearts, we're reminded that this love and grace is not to be hoarded for ourselves. Rather, it is entrusted to us to share with others. Having been immersed in the gospel story, we're commissioned to carry the story of God's love and his grace into our neighborhoods, into our schools, and into our offices, into the world. Church, do you you see the vision? That each week we are immersed in the gospel story. It's in the call to worship. It's in the declarations we make in song and creed and testimony. It's in the preaching and our praying. It's in our tithes and offerings. It's it's in the communion and in the commissioning. That week in and week out, we are being immersed in the gospel story, whether we see it or not. And Jesus is present to us every time we lift up his name together. Where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, there I also am. And sometimes in worship, we're swept off our feet or, or we're broken to tears in his presence. But there are other times where we're not, where where we don't feel anything. But make no mistake about it, God inhabits the worship of his people. And immersing ourselves in this story, it changes us, even if we don't realize it, even when we can't see it. Theologian James K.A. Smith says that these rhythms of our Sunday worship, they They implant the biblical story so deeply into our pre-conscious that the gospel becomes the background against and through which we perceive the world, even without thinking about it. He says, this is a belief that you carry in your bones. But church, without it, without a time and space to immerse ourselves in the gospel story with others, we will ultimately succumb to all the other deforming stories that we are immersed in throughout the rest of our week. I'm convinced of it. And so allow me, just in this moment, to to speak a special word to to, to you teenagers in the room uh, and you young adults in the room. Dudes. That's how you talk, right? I'm getting old. I'm so out of touch. (laughs) But here's the thing, even if a preacher is not relevant, Jesus is always relevant. And to these teenagers and young adults, I want to say that you are the future of God's redemptive mission in Kelowna. You are how God will carry his glory and his story to the world in the years ahead. So be here on Sunday mornings. Heck, Drag your parents here on Sunday mornings. (laughs) 
and immerse yourself in the gospel story week in and week out. Get it in your bones because it's from there that the love and grace of Jesus spills into the world through people who know how to worship. And this is what the author of Hebrews says to the churches in Jerusalem. In our text today, he says it. He begins by saying, hey, look at all these elements of your worship. Look at these elements. They point to the greater story. They point to the gospel story. And then he says this. Don't miss this. He says, don't give up meeting together, church. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And I'm intrigued by the language the Bible uses here. It's the word habit. It's intriguing to me. Sometimes the scriptures are implying here that some were in the habit of giving up on worship while others were in the habit of leaning into it. And we tend to think of habit as a negative word, don't we? We talk about uh, bad habits like biting your nails or something like that. And we don't like to think about worship as a habit either because it sounds like we're simply going through the motions or, or like our heart isn't in it. But let me say this. The habit is never the problem if your heart is really in it. My son Luca is playing volleyball these days. He's just learning to play the game. And I'm learning a thing or two about the game, about volleyball players. And what some of the better players do, you see them, is they warm up, they begin to warm up their hitting arm by, you know, kind of going through the motion of the hit. How was that, Jaden? Was that okay? I should probably, I got a volleyball coach up there, you know, something like that. Activate the core, right? They go through this motion of swinging their arm to, 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 to warm up before they play because it helps them succeed when the game starts. They do it because they, they go through this, the motion of this skill because it activates neural pathways over time and, and it creates muscle memory and, and it loosens the joints in order to, to, to execute that skill properly. And so the volleyball player, whether she or he, can, can succeed in their sport. And it's the repetition, the going through the motion that helps them succeed. You see where I'm going. It seems to me that weekly worship works that way. That the habit of being here helps us walk with Jesus. It really helps us. That going through the motion creates neural pathways for the gospel. And it develops a muscle memory of love and grace. It gets into our bones. And all of this muscle memory, all of these neural pathways, they aren't developed in a single session of worship, but rather through a lifetime of immersing ourselves in the gospel story week in and week out. Regular, communal worship. It can shape us in a way that no other spiritual discipline does and no spiritual hike in the woods can do either. The writer of Hebrews suggests that a person is either in the habit of regular worship or in the habit of missing it. And so the question is, what is your habit? Do you regularly immerse yourself in the gospel story with other people? Or are you in the habit of missing the opportunity to walk with Jesus in this way? Maybe for you, COVID disrupted your habit. And at first it wasn't a big deal, but now you realize the toll it's taken because you see how far you've drifted from Jesus in all the other areas of your life. 
maybe it's time to take a step back into a rhythm of weekly worship. And when the pastoral team heard, and I'm wrapping up here soon, but when the pastoral team heard about the focus of the sermon, they, they turned to me and said, Keith, are you going to say anything about the live stream and online worship? Well, and I took that as a challenge, and so the answer is yes. How does that fit into all of this? Well, let me say this. I think that the online worship services are great for those who are unable to be present with God's people on a Sunday morning because of, of travel or infirmity or, 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 or whatever the reason might be. But I want to say that the kind of worship that we see all throughout the Bible is this collective worship, one where every tongue and tribe come together to lift the name of Jesus together. Did I mention it was together? So if you're able, it's time to take your place among the community of God's people again. Church, God calls you to worship. So will you gather with the other sinners turned saints to declare through song and creed and testimony of all that God has done in your life? Will you surrender to his authority in the living word as it is preached? Will you lift your heart in prayer as we ask God for forgiveness and daily bread and for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? Will you bring your offering to the Lord, not out of obligation, but gratitude? Will you take your place at the Lord's table and be reconciled to God shoulder to shoulder with all the other sinners in need of a Savior? And will you courageously take up the Lord's commissioning to go out into your world and share this great love with other people. Hebrews 10, 23 and 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Let's pray. Jesus, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Jesus, I, I know you want to bring a measure of freedom to every person in this room. And maybe some of us have felt handcuffed to a bad church experience. And it's getting in the way of, uh, of worship. Pray that you break those chains through your love and grace. Lord, maybe some people feel handcuffed by a situation in their life that it's, it's this blockage of worship. and It makes them want to hide or isolate. Lord, I pray that you'd break those chains, that you'd draw them into worship with others. And Jesus, maybe there are some people today that they feel chained to this measure of guilt or, or, or shame about participation in worship services. Jesus, we pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, you would break those chains. Because there is no shame in your kingdom because you, re you replace it with honor. And that Jesus, I pray that as we commit ourselves to you, as we commit ourselves to walking together to follow you. That you would create in us a heart of worship 
that spills over to love people in this city that desperately need your love. And so, Lord, do what only you can do in the hearts of your people. We pray these things in your name.